Colossians chapter 3. And we are going to be looking at um, verses um, 12 through to 17. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 6. Um, Verses 12 through to 17. And as you're turning there, let me tell you about an interesting thing that happened to me not too long ago. Uh, I woke up one day and I decided it was a Monday. And what I decided to do was to um, dress up and look really like sharp and proper. I don't know why it was a Monday, and Mondays are for me to run errands, okay? I run errands, and I take the kids to school. And so for me to look extra sharp um, wasn't something I do, but I just thought I would. And one of my errands, one of the things I needed to do was to go to Home Depot and grab a few things. And for all of those (laughs) who know about Home Depot, you don't dress up well to go to Home Depot. In fact, if you are dressed up well when you go to Home Depot, you are overdressed. And so I walk into Home Depot just, you know, with my kids holding Eden, trying to make sure um, Kezia's tamed because she's that personality. And I'm just walking around looking for stuff. And I notice there's a young man that is just looking at me. Um, and I'm just weirded out by it. And so I'm like, okay, there's a camera there. And he, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't wearing a Home Depot, you know, out, um, attire. He just wasn't. And so I'm just like, why is he looking at me? And so I come out of the aisle. He introduces himself to me and says, hey, uh, my name's so-and-so, and I work for Tesla. Um, and I'm here trying to sell, um, <laughs> I'm trying to sell Tesla roofs. You know those roofs, Tesla, like, solar-powered roofs, and I mean, he like sort of just sort of escorts me to their display and starts talking to me as if I owned a house um, and I could afford the roofing system that Tesla provided. Just unbelievable. And I mean, I'm just there enjoying it, you know, and he says to me, what's your address? And so I give him my postcode. He um, um, locates my address in his lap, you know, on his, what was it, his um, tablet, and he sees the house that I'm living in, and he was like, wow, you've got a big driveway, and I'm like, yeah, and what he didn't know was I'm living at the smaller house at the back, and the whole house doesn't belong to me, but I'm enjoying this, and so he's just selling me this, and, you know, it just got to a point where I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not quite interested in this, and I might be, but I'll go online, and I will We'll find out more if I'm ever interested. And so I left that um, thinking to myself, this guy thought I owned a house in San Diego. And I don't know why, but I think he thought based on how I was dressed, right, I was quite wealthy. Okay, And so what I'm trying to communicate is that sometimes what we wear um, or how we appear can sometimes communicate who we are. How we live, right, should also reflect um, who we truly are. And so, with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, uh, and beginning in verse 12, all the way to verse 17. Read with me. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much again for this time. And as we seek to understand um, how you want us to live based on who we are, may you encourage us and bring us comfort to know and realize that you are with us and you're the one empowering us to live the way you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The first thing I want us all to notice from verse 12 is the identity of every believer. Okay, Christians are referred to here, if you look at verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Arkent Hughes says it is a welcome and soothing description of believers. And that is because in the Old Testament, these three terms, chosen, holy, beloved, were used to describe the people of Israel. God chose Israel and made them his treasured possession. In view of this, the term chosen ones lets us know that our relationship with God as Christians was initiated by God himself. God chose us. We didn't choose him. All right? Um, like how adoptive parents choose a child they want to adopt and bring into their family, in a similar way, we became Christians and members of God's family because God decided to choose us. So, if you're here and you're a Christian, this should be for you a heartwarming reminder to know that you were chosen by God, the creator of the universe. And because of this, you are holy and beloved, which basically means you're a child of God and you are dearly loved by him. And as God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved comes with this new identity, certain expectations. And the expectation is that we are, as Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, we are to be living advertisements of God's grace, um, of what God's grace does in human lives. In other words, who we are, right, should determine how we live as Christians. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12 again says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Ever the lover of metaphors and imagery, Paul, who's the author of this letter to a first century church in a city um, called Colossae, strongly encourages the disciples of Jesus who are citizens of that city to live out who they are, and he does so using clothing imagery. The NIV translation of this verse, which is verse 12, communicates this imagery best. It reads, Therefore, as, go, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Paul then goes on to name the character qualities every Christian should put on and be clothed with. The very first is a compassionate heart. The word compassion is a translation of a phrase that can also be translated as bowels of mercy, okay? Bowels, of course, refers to the inner parts of a person. What's fascinating about this is that in the ancient world, some of our human thoughts and emotions were associated with different parts of our body. So, for example, understanding um, was associated with the head, all right? Our convictions were associated with our kidneys. In our culture, we usually speak of our hearts being the seat of emotion, right? But it was common in the ancient world to attribute the headquarters of our emotions to our intestines, okay? Because our intestines are part of our body, it's the part of our body we feel emotions. Think about this. Anyone who's really loved, right, anyone who's really feared knows that the heart is not the only emotional organ. Some of our greatest loves and some of our greatest fears are felt a little further south in our guts. So while we might be used to speaking of a sinking heart. The scriptures are comfortable speaking of churning bowels. Therefore, since we're chosen, holy, beloved of God, we're expected to share in his stomach churning love for others. Again, when it comes to charities and social justice and helping the poor and um, all of those things, the ancient world was much different to our modern world. And this is because they were very merciless towards the poor, the sickly, and the crippled. They had no compassion or sympathy for the marginalized. This was in the ancient world. But when Jesus appeared on the scene, what he did was, you've read it all throughout the gospel, Jesus views the marginalized differently. In fact, he interacts with them and loves on them and he cares for them and he showed them compassion and cares. And so, disciples of Jesus are expected to follow in the footsteps of their master and display compassion to those in need. As believers, as Christians, we're not to turn a blind eye, blind eye or a deaf ear to the needy. Instead, if we have as belonging to us compassionate hearts, we'll be eager to provide what is necessary for those in need. 
The second character quality that should be evident in the life of every Christian is kindness. It's kindness. On Friday evening, I went to my favorite spot. You guys know where it is. Thank you, Brick and Bell. <laughs> I'm there all the time. And I went there in the evening just to touch up and finish my sermon. And um, when I got there, the owner of the cafe was there. And his name's Peter, Sch Peter Schumacher. He's a German. And I've really, like, clicked with him because we both like soccer. And we were talking about the World Cup and just having a great chat about soccer in the World Cup and all of those things. And as we were talking, he informed me that, oh, by the way, we're going to be closing at 7.30 today, not 9 p.m. And I was like, that's totally fine. And he was like, you know what? What I'm going to do is because you didn't know and I really like you, I'm going to give you a free drink. And so he gives me a free drink. And he says, you know what? We're going to close at 7.30, but you can stay in the patio because Broken Bell is one of those homey eateries where there's a patio and all of those things. And you should check it out because I'm not trying to, I am trying to sell it but anyway um <laughs> uh, anyway so i sit outside i'm getting on with my word he's shutting shop and then he comes up to me and gives me um a bag of scones he's just like hey here you go have some scones i'm like man thank you so much you are so kind that act by him was an act of kindness, okay? And that is the type of kindness we are familiar with. But the kindness being described here in this verse goes a little deeper. It goes a little further. The Greek word from which we get kindness was used to describe wine that has grown mellow with age and has lost its harshness, okay? I got this from a commentary. I didn't like know this but I got it from commentary <laughs> just making sure more than wine kindness is also used to describe God's goodness this is because it is God's goodness it, it is God's goodness that eventually leads a sinner to repentance it is kindness right this kind of kindness gives someone what they need when they don't deserve it. And this is exactly the kind of kindness believers are expected to demonstrate to others. We are to be kind in a way that provides people with things or with what they need, even if they don't deserve it. The third character quality that should be evident in the life of every disciple of Jesus is humility. Humility, of course, is a well-known Christian virtue. Christianity and humility are like peanut butter and jam or San Diego and surfing or babies and cuteness. They go hand in hand. They're closely associated with each other. We know that, right? You think Christianity, you think humility. But what you may not know is that the virtue of humility was viewed negatively in the ancient world, in the first century. They understood it in terms of a lack of bravery. Warren Weasby says that most citizens of the ancient world did not admire humility. Instead, they admired pride and domination. But what Christianity did was take this seemingly despised and scorned quality and make it one of the foremost qualities 
of the Christian faith. And that is, and that is because the virtue of Christian, or the virtue of humility originates from the life and the lifestyle of the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ. Humility is described as counting others more significant than yourself and looking out for the interests of others. This is the biblical definition of humility, and it's inspired by Jesus' act of becoming a human and willingly sacrificing his life for us on the cross. And when Jesus, who is God, came to earth, was a huge, huge deal to think that God decides to become a human and then lives among us. And then not only that, but goes further and dies for the world. That is incredible. And that has to be the greatest act of humility the world will ever witness. And this humility, which is counting others more significant than ourselves and looking out for the interests of others, which was modeled and exemplified by Jesus, is the kind of humility we're expected to display as Christians to one another. The fourth character quality that should be evident in the life of every believer is, weak, it is meekness. It can be defined as the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. In other words, meekness is on full display in your life and is on full display in the life of other people when you're not being consumed with self-importance. The fifth character quality that should be evident in the life of every believer is patience. The most precise definition of patience is Long temper, all right? Just long temper. Therefore, when someone is described as having a short temper, it means they're a person who speaks and acts impulsively and lacks self-control. But the person who is long-tempered or patient faithfully expresses love even when they're being mistreated. The next character quality that should be evident in the life of every believer is forgiveness. Look at verse 13. It says, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. All right, from the outset, from verse 13, the phrase bear with stands out. It stands out because it basically means to put up with or endure difficult circumstances of pe or people. All right, bear with when you're putting up with someone. And I'm reading this and I'm studying this and I'm like, my goodness, we need to hear this. As a church of our age and our current um, situation, King's Cross Church, okay, we're a Christian community made up 
of a diverse group of people. There are several different backgrounds, ethnicities, social classes represented here. And because we're new and small, there's a huge possibility you, as a member of this church, are, in, are regularly in contact with people that are different from you. You're probably in community with people you have little or nothing in common with, and you kind of have to do life with people that, if you're honest, you would never choose to associate with. So here in this verse, the command to bear with one another or put up with other followers of Jesus might not be music to your ears, okay? It might be like your alarm um, uh, uh, early Monday morning, okay? Where it's just that, eh, eh, you, know, that, that, you know, that's what it might feel like. But this strong encouragement to bear with one another is necessary for our church community. Absolutely is. And we'll discover that um, as we go throughout this text. But we're expected to endure that sometime frustrating and uncomfortableness of living in community with other disciples of Jesus. Bearing with one another is tough and is challenging. This expectation is. But just when we thought the challenge couldn't get any more demanding, we're expected to go a step further. Okay, we're also expected to forgive one another. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, again, it says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, it tells us, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The Greek verb, charizomai, father-in-law, charizomai, used here for forgive, communicates the idea that forgiving others is an act of grace freely offered that is often not deserved. What is revealed to us here is that as a church community, striving to follow Jesus, there will come a time when someone will hurt you. There's going to come a time when someone causes you pain by something they say or by something they do. And sometimes it might be accidental. They might not mean it. But you're going to experience, if you've not, you're going to experience a time when someone says or does something that causes you pain. And in such cases, we're expected to be like Jesus and begin to take steps towards forgiveness. And in this verse, we're reminded that forgiveness is only possible when we remember and reflect on the forgiveness we've received from Jesus Christ. The many times and the many ways we've been forgiven by Jesus provides us with the necessary motivation and enablement to forgive others. So my question to you is, is there someone you need to forgive? And as you think about this question, 
Steve Petit has these wise words to help guide our thoughts. He says this, and listen to this. Forgiveness does not give up on justice. The unbelief of Jerusalem and its leaders grieved and righteously angered Jesus. God has not given a pass to that person who ridiculed you or mistreated you. Nevertheless, forgiveness is crucial to Christian relationships. This verse underscores this point by appealing to the pattern of Christ. And as believers, we must forgive. I'm dealing with it now. You know, from the church um, we transitioned from. There are several people there that said things and done things that caused me pain and is still causing me pain. And it's difficult. And I still, I'm still wrestling with a lot. But we're called to forgive. And the, the only way I will or you will ever get to that point of absolutely forgiving someone is by remembering and reflecting on the forgiveness Jesus has provided for us. Paul then, after encouraging us to forgive like Jesus, goes on to remind us of the importance of the attribute of love in all of this. He says in verse 15, look at verse 15 with me, it says, And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In keeping with the clothing imagery, Arkent Hughes helps us realize the necessity of love with this illustration. He says, Paul here pictures a man dressing his body with the flowing garments of the day. And then it occurs to the man that as beautiful and as fine as his garments are, they can never be worn with comfort or grace until they are held in place by a belt. So he adds the belt love. Love has a binding or unifying effect. Here we're being reminded that love binds everything in perfect harmony. So compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness attain their full power only when they are unified by and empowered by love. As one author said, love is the grace that binds all these other graces together. So in the first century, the goal of a disciple was to become just like their rabbi. Okay? The disciple was the student and the rabbi was the teacher. For the disciple, the goal was not only to know what their rabbi knew, but also to be like their teacher, to walk in his ways. In the same way, as disciples of Jesus, we're not only expected to know what he knew, but we're to be just like him. And one of the interesting things about these character qualities we've just looked at is that they're 
always often associated with Jesus himself. Jesus Christ is the original and eternal chosen one. Jesus Christ is the original and eternal holy one. He, and he's the original and eternal beloved son. Jesus is known to be compassionate. He's known to be kind. He's known to be humble, meek, patient, forgiving and loving. He faithfully exemplified these character qualities we're called to exemplify and live out in our lives. Therefore, if you're here and you're a Christian and you're a disciple of Jesus, you're to be just like him. By faith, we're to share in his status and life. And through apprenticing Jesus, his character qualities and way of life must be evident in our own lives as well. Christians are to be what Christ is. Again, Arkent Hughes says it well when he says, all of these garments were perfectly worn by Christ. Therefore, when we put them on, we are putting on a family resemblance to Christ. And so my second question to you this morning is, are you a Christian? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Because if you are, how you live should reflect how Jesus lived. You should be compassionate. You should be kind. You should be humble. You, you should be meek. You should be, faith. you should be forgiven and loving and all of these things. Is this evident in your life? And if you're like me, when I was reading this, I was like, wow. You know, I can see some compassion here. Yeah, I can see some patience here. But frustration, uh, anger, oh, compassion, I'm too busy to help. You know, if you're like me, that is how you possibly feel about all of these things. But what has been helpful to me has been being reminded that despite all of my flaws and all of my failures, they're not only covered by the sacrifice of Jesus because he is my representative before God, okay? Right? He's my representative before God. He was perfect. He was righteous. But not only that, but because of Jesus, I've not only seen glimpses where I've been and resembled Jesus, but I have a constant desire to be just like him. That's the difference. And so if you're a Christian, you shouldn't perfectly execute all of these. You can't. You're just not perfect. But you should have within you a growing and constant desire to be just like Jesus. And when that desire doesn't exist or it's never existed, you should begin to inquire as to whether you are a Christian. And you know you're a Christian not because of how good you are or even the desire. You know you're a Christian because you are 
absolutely obsessed with and um, enamored with Jesus Christ himself. If you're a Christian, this is what is true about you. You are chosen and set apart as God's own. You are a child of God and dearly loved by him, and you are his treasured position. And because of who you are, expect to evidence compassion, kindness, humility, patience, forgiveness, and love in your life. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, consider the following Bible passages. Colossians chapter 1 says, Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 says, you are alienated from the life of God. And because of this, Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. What that means is that no matter how close you feel to God, you are still separate from God. But because of God's grace, great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what can be true about you. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, you can make a decision. You can make a decision to follow Jesus. You might not understand everything. You will get there. But if you decide to surrender your life to Jesus, you will have peace with God and become a child of God and you will be dearly and eternally loved by him. So, as Christians, we're expected to be like Jesus. And we're to be like Jesus by demonstrating his character qualities in our life. Not only that, as we move on to verse 15, we're also expected to be instruments of Jesus and engage in the work of ministry. Look at verse 15. It says, And let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The Greek word used here for rule refers to a judge or a referee who decides what is right and wrong in a context, in a contest. Okay? So, to, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts can also mean to let the peace of Christ be the judge in your heart. Also, notice it doesn't just say peace, as in, oh, let peace rule your hearts. It says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Tom Wright, who I love very much, says, this peace is not to be a mere outward absence of hostility, it is to be the peace of Christ which must become the deciding factor in your heart. So as believers, the peace of Christ must be the deciding factor in our lives. 
And because when it is, we will have rest in the forgiveness of God in Christ. Okay? When the peace of Christ is the driving force and the, um, the, the motive of our hearts and what we're living by, it will provide us, it will help us rest in the forgiveness of God in Christ. Why is that? Because if we're resting in the forgiveness of Christ, we no longer need to fear being exposed since nothing could be known about us that hasn't already been covered by Jesus' sacrificial work. And so resting in Christ, the peace of Christ, allows us to be honest. It allows us to be vulnerable with each other. It allows us to come clean with whatever we're struggling with. Why? Because we recognize Okay, that like we recognize that nothing can be known about us, no matter how bad it is. Nothing can be known about us that hasn't been covered by the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Also, the peace of Christ enables us to rest in the fact that we're accepted by God fully and completely in Christ. And because of this acceptance, God's opinion of us will matter more than the opinion of others. Once we realize that we've been accepted by God, we're not going to go around trying to gain the love and respect of people. And it's fine to do that, but that's not going to be what we prioritize and we base our whole life on. We're going to rest, peacefully rest, in the fact that God has accepted us, and he's accepted us not based on how good we are or what we've done and not done, but he's accepted us because of what his son, Jesus Christ, has done for us on the cross. And as we rest in this acceptance, the opinion of other people are not going to matter, but God's opinion of us is going to matter most above it all. And something important to remember um, also, as we talk about the peace of Christ, is to beware, however, of a false peace in the heart, okay? Um, having peace in your heart doesn't mean something is right, okay? We can often do that. We're praying about something, we're seeking God's will, and we just get this sense of peace. And so this passage, this verse, has often been used incorrectly as a support support text, right, for people's decisions. So that shouldn't be the case. Warren Weasby says, the peace of heart alone is not always the peace of God. Okay, we should never trust our hearts. Okay, because the heart is deceitful. And so when we get peace about something, we must remember or check it with Scripture. And this is precisely why the next verse, verse 16, is so important. Look at verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What we learn from this verse is to let the message of Christ play a central role in our lives. 
And so King's Cross Church, the only way we'll be able to truly make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ is to depend on God. It's in our mission statement. And one of the ways we depend on God is through the word of Christ. And the word of Christ is what we're to use to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Okay? In all wisdom. This means that what this verse is communicating to us, because it's been read to a church, is that the work of making and maturing disciples through God's word is not the sole responsibility of leaders and gifted individuals in the church. If you're here and you're Christian and you're a member of King's Cross Church, you must accept your role in the life of every other believer. Because it is God's plan that all of his children, all of us would teach and all of us would admonish. And to be able to do that effectively, we must be familiar with God's Word, with our Bibles. We really must. And we mustn't be familiar with verses here and there. It's so important for us as believers to have a regular plan when it comes to reading our Bibles. Because knowing our Bibles will enable us to teach and admonish one another effectively. And knowing the entire Bible, getting the grand scope, the redemptive plan, and all of us, all of that, will help us not pluck verses out of context. Okay, we could talk about the importance of context and reading things in context, but it's just so important for us to know our Bibles. And so, my question is how is your Bible reading? How is your prayer life? It should be healthy. It should be constant. And if you're like me, there's a struggle. There's absolutely a struggle in that. But the reason why you should spend time in reading your word and in prayer is not just to teach and admonish people and other people. But it should be because you want to know and experience who God is. A desire to know God and a desire to live for him should be the primary motivation for why we read and why we pray. And the only way we're going to be able to fulfill verse 17, which says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, is by reading the word and praying often, but not only that, doing it 
with a desire to know who God is. So, as disciples of Jesus, we're reminded of what is expected of us. We're expected to be like Jesus in demonstrating his, his character qualities in our life. We're also reminded that we're his instruments who are expected to engage in the work of ministry for the fame of his name. And this is why we're here. This is why we're alive. We are alive so that we may do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much again for this morning. Um, there's a lot for us to be thankful for, but we're thankful for your word and reminding us um, of our great need for you. We're reminded of our great need for you. Why? Because we look at all of these character qualities that were clearly evident in Jesus Christ, compassion, patience, kindness, meekness, all of these things. And we realize that, my, we, we just cannot fulfill these in our lives. And so we need you because by reflecting and remembering uh, what Jesus Christ has done for you and our status and our position um, in Christ and how you view us, it's the needed motivation and it's what empowers us and enables us to live for you. And so, Father, as we move towards singing, we are reflecting on Jesus and as we do that may you encourage us and may you empower us to live like Jesus throughout the week in his name we pray amen amen verse 16 I'm going to read it again it says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and it goes on to say singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and so we're going to get an opportunity to actually practice the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and and this is interesting I love singing in church because we're not only reminded of important truths we need to meditate on but we're also um, encouraging one another and teaching one another and admonishing one another as we sing these truths that's why we don't sing with our lips sealed right we actually open our mouths and sing because when you're singing you're not just giving God and declaring to him who he is and what he deserves you are actually communicating to each other um, who Jesus is and so as we sing may you sing knowing that you are practicing um, 
uh, custom uh, practice in the singing psalms and the hymns and spiritual songs and you're practicing these things and you're actually teaching people but before we do that we're going to have a time where we reflect on what has been um, on what we've been exposed to and this time it's just going to be brief but it's going to be a time when you can just pray and read and just reflect on everything you've heard you might want to pray you might want I don't know and after that time um, Dan and the team will indicate to you when you can stand um, to begin to sing these songs may you be blessed may you be encouraged and may you find comfort and peace and love in Jesus Christ <laughs>